Hi, and welcome to Ear Tours American History. This podcast is to tell stories of American history as told by Doug McCormick, a tour guide and history enthusiast and co-hosted by his daughter, Brianna McCormick, who doesn't remember dates and facts about anything despite being told several times. We hope you enjoy these stories. Let us know if you have any feedback. Thank you for listening. Okay, Dad, what are we listening to today? Well, we've had a break in the action uh, for a few months here. Uh, We have talked about the Virginia Dynasty presidents up till now. Uh, Washington, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe. Um, The president we're going to talk about today is one of the most unpopular and lowest-ranked presidents in U.S. history. Oh. And that is John Tyler, a Virginian. Uh, Tyler felt like he was part of the next generation of the Virginia dynasty. Um, But Tyler, very interesting. Uh, If you really look into it, I think he actually had a chance of being one of the more decent presidents. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he ruined his reputation at the end of his life because he became part of the, when the uh, Civil War came along and Virginia seceded from the Union, mm-hmm. he went with Virginia and he became a Confederate. Oh. And he was actually elected to the Confederate Congress. Oh. He dies uh, before they really get into it in the Congress, but he has a Confederate flag on his um, when he dies, not an American flag. So the Lincoln administration didn't even really recognize that he had died. Oh, um, that bad. Yeah, it was, yeah. That, it was that bad. So if you took that out, and we'll talk about some other things, he, uh, I think actually there were some things he did that was fine. But anyway, uh, we'll talk about that. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time detailing all the offices he held. He held quite a few offices, so he must have had something going for him politically. But uh, the other thing that uh, doesn't make him popular in U.S. history is he was a slave owner and supported slavery. Well, that lines up with the Confederacy, doesn't it? (laughs) Yep, yep, it does. Okay. Anyway, we'll go through some things. Uh, I am going to dwell a fair amount on the family, his family situation. He... uh, had 15 children between two Ew. wives. Yes, 15. 14 Ew. of which survived uh, out of infancy. Hmm. And so we're going to talk about both the wives uh, and Tippecanoe and Tyler too. Uh, anyway, we'll go ahead and get into it. Uh, Tyler was born in 1790 in Charles County, Virginia. It was called the Greenway Plantation. He's the sixth of eight children. His father, his father is John Tyler. Uh, mother is named Mary Armistead. His father is prominent in uh, Virginia society and politics. And his father is classmates uh, acquainted with uh, Thomas Jefferson. They both, uh, Tyler Sr. was with Jefferson and William and Mary. Uh, Tyler was active uh, in Virginia politics. He was the judge of Virginia's general court for almost a decade. A lot of people called him Judge Tyler. He was governor of Virginia. Um, So John Tyler comes along as Mary Armistead. His mother dies when he's seven, so it's really his father that's, you know, a a great figure in his life. he attends, as you might expect, as a lot of uh, Virginians did back there, the College of William and Mary. He excels as a student, and uh, he's influenced by a Reverend Bishop Madison, who was a second cousin to James Madison, the fourth president. And what got imprinted in him, not only growing up there in Virginia, but at William and Mary, is what I would call empire and national destiny. In other words, the United States was looking for its national destiny to expand. Um, 
he graduates from William and Mary in 1807. So he's only, he starts in William and Mary. They started younger back then. He was 15. Uh, in two years, he graduates, becomes a lawyer. Um, in 1809, he meets Letitia Christian. Letitia? Letitia, yes. L-E-T-I-T-I-A, Letitia. There are places, uh, Letitia's family is from Cedar Grove Plantation. Tyler's was Greenway Plantation. They're within about those two plantations, and you can still visit them today. Now, they're, they're privately owned. You can't just go there, but uh, the houses are still there, and uh, it's only about 15 miles from each other. So it's not surprising that Tyler and Letitia would run into each other because they were in the upper you know, crest of... Virginia society. Uh, the Christians were very well-to-do. They had a lot of money. Um, I thought it was interesting. She was, Letitia was, uh, I would say, reserved. She didn't really demonstrate much emotion. They were engaged for almost four years before they got married. Jeez. Um, so get, get it together. Yeah. They get married in 1813. By then, Tyler, at age 21, has already won an election to the Virginia House of Delegates. Uh, to show how reserved both of them were and as far as no demonstration, public demonstration of affection, um, Tyler said he didn't kiss her, and he just kissed her hand like about two or three weeks before they got married. So that's, that's a good example of... But, Having said that, even though a her, she was um, reserved, not uh, overly demonstrative, it was a I good mean, that's marriage. To the extreme, but then they started having 15 children. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, they, she had eight. So. Oh, well, that doesn't make my point different. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, uh, let me, I'll talk about the children here in just a second, but let me just summarize. Uh, I'm not going to. It'd take way too much time to go into all the Tyler's uh, political career, but just to give you an example, 1816, he's elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. He's one of the youngest congressmen elected in uh, history at that point. He resigns in 1821 because of ill health, but he recovers his health. He's elected again to the Virginia House of Delegates in 1823. 1825, he's governor of Virginia. 1827, he's elected to the United States Senate. Jeez. Um, by the way, at, senators were not directly elected until by popular vote until 1913. So it was state legislatures that mm. elected the senators. <laughs> so the Virginia uh, you know, state legislature elects him. He's reelected in, uh, to the Senate in 1833. 1836, he resigns in protests. He's been essentially uh, the follow-on to Jefferson's party. Um, and we could spend a lot of time talking about the different parties that happened through here, but essentially Jefferson's party became the Democratic Party. Uh, you might remember Jefferson and Hamilton had big differences in the early part of our country about how much power the the president should have the Federalist Party wanted a strong federal, uh, whereas Tyler was uh, more of the uh, states. You know, he wanted the states to have the power and was very wary of a too strong executive. Mm -hmm. um, I learned that from the musical Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Not so. not high school history as I should have. Well, the reason he resigned, because the Virginia legislature told him and the other uh, senator, Virginia senator at the time, that they wanted, a Andrew Jackson was president from 1828 to 1836. Jackson got censured. He didn't like the fact they got censured, and they wanted to expunge that cens censure. And Tyler said, no, I don't, I don't agree that that should happen. So he resigns from the Senate in protest, and he joins the, what's called the Whig Party, W-H-I-G. Mm. 
the Whigs, I'm going to quote, and, a, lot, and uh, a very good reference for all of this is a book by Gary May on John Tyler. It's the American Presidents uh, series. Let me quote from that book. It says, uh, the Whigs were far from an organized party, more of a loose confederation of warring factions bound vaguely together by a common hatred of the new popular democracy tip typified by Jackson and Martin Van Buren, his successor. So, Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, those are the first five. Then you have John Quincy Adams, 1824 to 1828, controversial. He was elected, but then Andrew Jackson comes in 1828 to 1836. Jackson is the first Westerner, the first really not somebody from the East that's in the presidency. Jackson has his successor as Martin Van Buren. Martin, I mentioned Van Buren because as soon as Van Buren takes office, essentially in 1837, there's a financial panic and the economy of the United States goes down the drain. Why? Um, it, I'm not going to get into that right now. Just I, I think in terms of time to keep us on timeline, um, part of it actually was, I think, Jackson's fault because Andrew Jackson didn't want a uh, national bank. Um, he and a guy named Jackson and a guy named Nicholas Biddle went back and forth. Biddle ran the national bank, and it was part of the overall fact the Whig, um, the Whig Party formed in 1833. That was by Henry Clay, who was a major player during this whole time frame. Um, the Whigs came from the Federalist Party, uh, and I'm summarizing here, but their economic program was, the Whigs wanted what was called the American system, which was protective tariffs, federal subsidies for uh, construction of infrastructure and support for a national bank. So the Whigs wanted a national bank, Democrats didn't. Um, financial panic, essentially, as the election of 1840 comes along, Van Buren wants to have a second term. Um, the Whigs don't want him to have a second term. The Whigs nominate a guy named William Henry Harrison. Harrison is the hero of a battle called Tippecanoe. Mm -hmm. Tippecanoe is a river in Indiana. That's where the battle took place. Okay. It was against Native Americans. Um, Harrison was actually born at Berkeley Plantation, which is not far from where uh, Jamestown and uh, where Tyler's place was. Um, but he spends most of his time in what's called the Northwest Territories, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, um, Wisconsin, that was the Northwest Territories. There, there was expansion going on in there. Anyway, long story short, they decide they want a military hero and a southerner on the ticket. That's their best chance of winning. So the Whigs nominate William Henry Harrison. Okay. The vice president at that time, essentially, they went through a whole lot of people that said, not interested, not interested, not interested, not interested, and they finally got to Tyler, and he said, Sure, sure why not? I'll Add do this. to my resume. <laughs> and he's not really, in fact, here's a, another quote from the uh, Gary May book. Um, well, I thought I had it here, but... Uh, What proved decisive in the end was not Harrison and Tyler's obfuscation or Whig demagoguery, because when they asked, uh, when Tyler was supporting Harrison, they said, well, do you support Harrison's policies? Well, 
no, he didn't really support him. But um, said what proved decisive in the end was not Harrison and Tyler's obfuscation or Whig demagoguery, but the simple fact that the Panic of 1837 and Van Buren's failure to end it inspired Americans to vote decisively for change. In fact, one of their songs said about Van Buren, you're not our man to guide the ship, we'll try old Tip. Mm. Tip, old Tip, of course, was Tippecanoe. The campaign slogan was Tippecanoe and Tyler too. It's one of the few things some people of my age remember from American history. <laughs> is that campaign slogan. Well, the, the amazing thing was when Tyler said, yeah, I'll you know, be vice president, they didn't really ask him like, well, do you support WIC policies? Because he didn't. So they just asked him to run and he was like, sure, but I don't like you guys. So well, we'll figure it he, out later. He said, <laughs> Here it is, and again, I'm quoting from the Gary May book on John Tyler, it's the American President's series. No one attending the convention seems to have given any thought to the possibility that General Harrison, at 67, the oldest man ever to seek the presidency, might die in office and therefore should, should have a vice president with compatible views. Everyone knew that Tyler was often fiercely independent and that his basic philosophy differed from the wing, the Whigs. And they quoted Tyler saying, I was wholly unquestioned about my opinions. <laughs> so. <That's... laughs> oh boy, that's even worse than what's so, going on now, it seems like. 1840, Harrison wins the election. Um, Tyler's the vice president. Harrison takes office March of uh, 1845. Back then they had the changeover in March instead of January. 31 days later, he, he's dead. Tyler's dead. No, Harrison, Harrison is dead. And he, they, there's a debate to this day whether he caught pneumonia from, he gave a long, very long uh, inauguration speech they didn't think he was dressed appropriately. He was out in the cold and rain. There's some people think he actually, that didn't cause it. He was out walking, uh, you know, a few weeks later, caught a cold that turned into pneumonia. But the bottom line is 31 days later, after he's inaugurated, William Henry Harrison dies. And now everybody is like, oh my gosh, John Tyler, and, and they don't really know what to do because it's like no, no president has died in office till then. Oh gosh. So the issue really was, well, how much power, I mean, does the vice president become an acting president with, where they're, they're just kind of helped by the cabinet and Congress and don't do much? Well, one of the things I think that I give Tyler credit for, if he didn't do anything else, what he did when he took over the presidency is he went in and he said, no, you're not listening. I am the president mm. and I'm going to act as the president. His cabinet didn't care for him. Mm. And he starts doing some things the cabinet doesn't like. Um, they all resigned with the exception of the secretary of state. And a few, some months later, his entire cabinet resigns on him. You mean? This was originally the other guy's cabinet. Yeah, it was it was Harrison's cabinet. And so then so, they all quit. Yeah, they didn't like some of the things he was doing. They all quit. Um, so contentious presidency. In fact, the Whigs are so upset because he vetoes some legislation that they want, with, again, the national bank situation, that they throw him out of the Whig party. They vote him out of the Whig party. Well, it doesn't sound like he should have been in it to begin <laughs> well, with. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. It was like, hey, you guys didn't check this guy out and ask him much of any, to make sure that he would have, you know, hey, this guy might actually take over if we have this, you know, old uh, Harrison go in there. But anyway, so at this point, I'm going to stop a little on the 
political side and talk about the children because Tyler actually had um, he had a lot of tragedy through right before his presidency and during his presidency that affected things. So he and Letitia, of course this is in the 18, you know, starting in 1815 through 1830, he and Letitia have eight children. Mary, 1815, Robert, 1816, John Tyler III, 1819, Letitia named after her mother, 1821, uh, 1823, Elizabeth, 1827, Alice, and, and Tazewell in 1830. So between, but seven of the eight, which was actually back then, you know, a lot of, you know, childbirth and uh, people surviving out into their adult, being adults didn't, seven out of eight actually was pretty good, um, but they did lose one. Anyway, so between 1815 and 1830, they have, 18, they have eight kids. Mm. Okay. She doesn't spend all that much time in Washington. She's reserved. She spends a lot of time with Bible, knitting. Uh, when she was in Washington for a while, she did have some, uh, she participated in the social you know, activities while, while we were there. But right before the 1840 campaign, where Tyler agrees to become vice president, Letitia has a stroke. Oh. 1839, she has a stroke and it significantly affects her. Okay. Um, she essentially spends most of her day in a wheelchair, reading, knitting, not being particularly active now. They did say that she was mentally able enough to kind of direct other family members to, you know, kind of run things, you know, back in the, where they lived in Virginia and then even in Washington. But, uh, yeah, significant issue. So Tyler becomes president. They move into the White House. Letitia's in the White House, but she's had this stroke. Never really recovers from it. And then, so what, because she can't be an active first lady, there, the son Robert, that was born in 1816, he marries a woman named Priscilla Cooper. Priscilla. Priscilla Cooper. She's an actress. They, you know, they marry in 1839. So 1839 is when Letitia has her stroke. So Priscilla, the daughter-in-law, and then also one of the daughters, they act as the official White House hostess. Well, Priscilla, she's an actress and she's outgoing and Every, she's actually pretty pop, uh, popular. And she's close with Elizabeth, the daughter that was born in 1823. Um, so they kind of run the uh, social events and help President Tyler out. Um, just a quick aside, the first formal dinner in 1841, Priscilla, and they were hosting a bunch of cabinet and Washington uh, society. Uh, Priscilla was so upset trying to get everything ready and make sure everything was uh, perfect that at the dinner she fainted and the Secretary of State, who was Daniel Webster, catches her, but then her husband, trying to revive her, takes a pitcher of water, throws it, tries to throw it on her, but actually gets most of it on the Secretary of State. So, anyway, <laughs> that so... That sounds like a, a sitcom. Yeah. Well... <laughs> But it was tragic in that, I mean, here, you know, Tyler doesn't have it. He's dealing with being the president. He had, his wife is sick. She then has a second stroke and passes away in 1842. Mm. So, that's kind of the summary of the first set of Tyler children. Let me go back kind of into the political realm and then we'll go into the second 
set of children and what would happen in the, the rest of the presidency. So Tyler is kicked out of the Whig party. So now he's a president without a party. It's kind of like if you thought George Bush a few years ago gets kicked out of the Republican party while he's president. Well, you're a president without a party, but he's still trying to govern. He does do a few things, like I say, that there is a treaty, his, his Secretary of State was, at least initially, was Daniel Webster, who was very capable. Webster and a British uh, diplomat figure out what's called the Ashburn uh, um, Treaty, Webster-Ashburn Treaty, which finishes and defines, because there was issues about where did Maine, the state of Maine, and and Canada and there was back and forth about that there there was uh, ships that the British had gotten one called the Caroline that the Americans weren't happy for, about anyway long story short Webster does a good job Tyler supports him and they get that treaty and it and it defines and takes care of that problem hmm. uh, Tyler also expanded the Monroe Doctrine to Hawaii and said, don't, nobody should do anything over in Hawaii. And he has a, a treaty with China. So in foreign policy, he's actually doing reasonably well. He's, the Whigs are not happy with him though and trying to frustrate him. He eventually starts getting people in his cabinet though that support him. And he decides that he, it's a good time to annex Texas. Mm. 18, quick history, 1836, the Alamo and then Goliad and uh, San Jacinto. Texas wins its independence from Mexico. They're their own country down there, but they, there's so many Americans and there's a lot of, we could go into, but I'm, I'll simplify it by saying eventually they wanna become part of the United States. Um, but it is very controversial. John Quincy Adams, Jackson, and Martin Van Buren also would have liked to have had Texas become part of the Union, but they they didn't want to get into oh we're gonna it's gonna be a slave state mm. because the background for almost all this time from when Tyler gets into politics essentially from 1820 all the way up to 1840 is slavery. 1820, the Missouri Compromise. Eventually in 1850, after Tyler leaves, the, the Compromise of 1850. Um, and it's, a, it's about every time they want to have a new state, the Southerners don't want too many non-slave states because they think they're going to get overrun in Congress. So it's all the back and forth about slavery that's been going on this whole time. Well, same thing with Texas coming on. But Tyler, he's like, no, we need to not look at it just as a slavery thing. It will be good for the nation that we take, we bring Texas in. And he actually goes on a campaign and goes up to the Northeast to a lot of the big cities and is having a su successful campaign and getting people to buy into the fact that, hey, we need to um, bring Texas on as part of the United States. He's at an event where his attorney general dies or right around that time. So now he has to stop, go, you know, have the services for his attorney general, replace the attorney general. Um, so that was another tragedy they had to deal with. Uh, he then gets a secretary of state named Abel Upshur, who's a fellow Virginian, and Upshur is a perfect choice for him to help get Texas as part of the United States. Hmm. Upshur does all the legwork, not all of it, but you know, he does the legwork, negotiating with the Texans, negotiating with the various political parties to get a treaty. Senate has to approve treaties to bring Texas in. Okay. 
Um, eight, so February of 1844, uh, Tyler by then, so let me jump out of the political realm and go back into the family realm. So Tyler has lost his wife September of 1842, but by Jan January, February of 1843, he meets a young lady named Julia Gardner. Oh, that's fast. It was. <laughs> and there was some comment about that. I Julia, bet. Julia Gardner is 30 years younger oh. than John Tyler. Oh, man. She is from a prominent, rich New York family. Mm -hmm. Julia has many suitors, mm -hmm. and she flirts with a lot of them. She's used to money. Mm -hmm. um, but Tyler is smitten with her. And essentially, from early 1843 to early 1844, you know, they are communicating. Did he kiss her hand? Uh, I don't have any detail <laughs> about that, but um, Julia, actually, the letters that Tyler would write her, sometimes she'd let her mother and even her brothers see them because she was kind of amused by them. Um, but he was very smitten. So, early 18, February of 1844, Tyler's and Upshur, they're in good shape. They're, they think they're going to get this treaty. And if they get the treaty to bring Texas in, Tyler's got a good chance of maybe having his own party and getting reelected again. Okay. So, February of 1844, they go out on a new... Uh, pretty new U.S. ship called the USS Princeton. Well, they go out in the Potomac. The Princeton is one of the newest ships in the entire world. It's the first steamship that actually drives a propeller hmm. on you know, the ship. And it has two huge guns that can throw a 200-pound pro uh, projectile five miles. Oh, that's impressive. So one's called the Oregon, the other is called the Peacemaker. Mm. Uh, in the interest of time, uh, the Oregon was designed by a guy named John Erickson, who did it right. The Peacemaker was John Stockton's. They weren't exactly the same, they were similar. But anyway, Tyler has 200 guests, members of his cabinet. Julia is there and her father is there. Oh, so the pressure's on. So everything's going fine. They're actually not far from Mount Vernon on the Potomac, and they, they fired these cannon a few times, and they, they Tyler goes down below deck with a number of people and listens to his, I think it's his son or his son-in-law singing a song. Julia's down there, but a lot of them are up, up on the deck to watch the last firing of the peacemaker peacemaker explodes oh no yes and, and it's it's awful 20 i think i'd have to double check the numbers but i think 20 were killed six, oh, God. Six, it was it was a bloody mess upshur his secretary of state mm -hmm. dies his secretary of the navy dies and julia's father <gasps> David Gardner no. dies. Oh, gosh. They won't even let Julia go. They prevent her from going up to see the carnage because mm -hmm. they thought it would affect her too much. Tyler carries Julia off of the Princeton. Oh, gosh. This and is a movie. Julia said later that she realized how much he cared for her, and, you know, based on what was going on there. And they eventually, they decide to get married. Well, that's the saddest. Yeah, it's a it's, it's a real tragedy. Not only just from you know what happened, but uh, Upshur then uh, Tyler is is one of his friends offers the Secretary of State job to a guy that he didn't want, a guy named John Calhoun. Calhoun makes enemies of people that Upshur had gotten all. You know, together is, to have this treaty. So now the treaty's gone. It's falling and apart, essentially. Anyway, in the middle of all this, uh, 
in, I think it was June 1844, Tyler goes up to New York with Julia and they get married. Mm. He's kept it pretty secret. Most of his original family doesn't know. Um, there's only 12 people that attend. The church is still in New York and Manhattan. It's called the Church of the Ascension. But they get married. Julia comes back. And now Tyler is looking to, okay, I still want to get Texas. But Julia becomes, she is, she's a star. She, you know, she had grown up with money and clothes, um, had met the Pope, had met the you know, Queen Victoria and some of the travels in Europe flirted with a lot of a lot of people. She and she started having parties essentially, mm-hmm. hosting, and they were very popular. She had let me uh, refer to uh, yeah. See, she she had attended boarding school in 1839 before uh, she meets. Tyler, she shocked everybody in New York because she posed for a clothing advertisement, and it was like, that's just not done. Mm. You know, all the all the elites there in New York. Um, so, so she starts hosting parties. So they they marry on the twenty sixth of June, eighteen forty four, in New York. There's only twelve guests. They return to. Washington, not only does she start posting and being actively, uh, she actively seeks newspaper coverage. She's willing to assume a public role. No first lady had done anything like that before. When I say a public role, role, she actually goes and attends the House and Senate debates. She's up in the gallery observing the debates on Texas. Um, She has a coach with eight matching white Arabian horses. Ooh. So when she is That's going around town, there's nobody that can miss her because it's like there's a coach with eight white big horses going around there. She wants to get an Italian greyhound for a dog. She starts fixing up the White House with money from her family. Uh, when she received guests, she would sit among several other young ladies and they would all the young ladies would be dressed in white mm. and so it was kind of like whoa you know when you well, met what her, would she wear uh i can't tell you specifically but it was very whatever it was it was very but everyone else was in white yeah she wore whatever young ladies so yeah how funny so uh, so she she liked the white horses and the white ladies and yeah just liked Dolly Madison, who was still in town, she and Dolly Madison conferred on things. Um, so, now back into the, to finish the Tyler presidency and the Texas. So the treaty is done, but then Tyler says, well, there's another way to get this. A treaty would actually bring Texas in as a territory. If you can get a joint resolution of Congress, which Treaties need like two-thirds of the, I believe it's two-thirds of the Senate. Um, but Tyler says, well, if I get this joint resolution to bring Texas in, I only need a majority of each House of Congress. And he eventually gets the majority right before he leaves the presidency. Um, a few months before, Congress votes, both houses, they, they vote and give him the win to say, Yep, we want to annex Texas. Um, By then, James Polk has been elected for the subsequent uh, term. Polk and Tyler coordinate, and right before Tyler leaves the presidency, he signs that joint resolution. Polk then takes it and finishes it off. The way I think of this is, think of it as Tyler takes the Texas acquisition right to the finish line and then Polk takes it over the finish line and gets Texas in in December of 1845. Okay. So Tyler's happy with that. 
but he's out as president. He and Julia now move to, he's just bought a plantation not too far from Williamsburg. It's on uh, Route 5 there that goes along the James River. And that plantation is called Sherwood Forest. It's still there today, still an amazing place. Um, so they moved there and he and Julia, and Tyler's worried about, well, she's been used to, you know, all this life, and now she's gonna be on this kind of quiet Virginia plantation. Um, but they start having children. He and Julia have seven children. David in 1846, John in 1848, Julia in 1849, L-A-C-H-L-A-N, Lachlan. Lachlan. Yeah, December of 1851, Lyon, L-Y-O-N. 1853, Robert 1856, and Pearl in 1860. Mm. So, a lot 15 of total, of which 14 make it, but seven with Julia. Ugh. So he's, he's, and unlike some of the other Virginia presidents, he doesn't end up in debt. He's managing this plantation and has money, Julia has money. So, <laughs> they're, they're doing okay. Um, just to finish off, and I'll open it up if you have any questions, but um, the Civil War comes along. That incident with the Princeton actually was a big deal if you look at it. Uh, the whole thing about the 1844 election with Polk was Polk was in favor of annexing Texas. Other candidates, in particular ex-president uh, Van Buren was against it. Well, Polk wins the presidency. He's a dark horse. Nobody thought he was going to win. He wins, but his, Polk's uh, priority, he wants to acquire California. He wants to settle the Oregon question. He says, oh, I'm going to do this all in one, one uh, term. I'm not going to serve two terms. The Mexican War happens because of all of this, 1846-1848. There are lots of historians and people at the time, the Mexican War was extremely uh, controversial mm -hmm. uh, because of the, the slave aspect of it. You know, what was, as you expanded the United States, how was, was slavery going to be allowed or wasn't it? Um, so Polk gets his, you know, Mexican War, uh, and there are a lot of people think to this day that the Civil War was a direct, our American Civil War was a direct result of the Mexican War. Hmm. In fact, Ulysses Grant thought that, the famous general in the U.S. Civil War. So that Princeton, if that Princeton explosion hadn't happened, there's a good chance that Polk would have never even been nominated for president. And then... Hmm. things went from there but uh, interesting so civil war comes along Tyler's a Virginian he's always been Virginian and he can't see himself uh, to become you know to go against his home state of Virginia Virginia secedes from the Union uh, Tyler gets himself elected to the Confederate Congress Amazingly. Hmm. Now, did he, he was seeking out to be elected or did they ask him? Uh, I don't have a lot of the detail on that. I'm sure he was fine with that. He, he actually did before, you know, before he gets elected. In 1860, he tries to get a peace conference with President Buchanan at the time and then to help President Lincoln. They get, have the peace conference in, uh, in the Washington DC area trying to avert the Civil War but it was never gonna even though they tried it, it was never gonna work hmm. all the all the issues that were driving it were still there and they they couldn't they just couldn't get it done but he you know I give him credit for at least trying but he ends up going with Virginia uh, Capitol is in Richmond. He goes there in early 1862 to become part of the Confederate Congress. 
he gets sick and dies. Mm. He's in a hotel there, I believe, in Richmond. They can't get him back to uh, Sherwood Forest, where he wants to. Why not? Because of the by then the, the, the war the war was going mm. on. So they build they bury him in the Hollywood Cemetery uh, there in Richmond. Um, Julia, she lives for quite a number of years after that. Work is associated with uh, first ladies later on. By the way, the Washington Society, when Julia left and Sarah Polk came along, mm-hmm. they were not happy because Sarah Polk. <laughs> She's boring. She was. <laughs> now they think that it was supported by her husband, who was a pretty austere work workaholic, but she didn't want any of these, you know, loud parties and whatever. So the. <laughs> Most of the society was like, God, I wish we could get Julia back. <laughs> she was, she put on some good, some good parties. In fact, there was a grand finale party that in uh, February of 1845 before Tyler West's presidency. I think they said almost 2,000 people. <gasps> what? Yeah. A 2,000 person she party? Knew, she knew how to, she knew how to throw a, oh, throw a party. Sounds like fun. So Tyler, eventually Julia passes away. Ironically, she's in the same hotel in Richmond one time that he was in when he died and she dies. So really? she is buried beside him in Richmond in uh, Hollywood Cemetery. What is with... this hotel? Maybe we should make sure that's <laughs> well, yeah. checked out. What is Leticia, <laughs> the first wife, was buried at Cedar Grove plantation or her family plantation so I always kind of think like well if you could talk to Leticia today and go you had eight kids with this guy but he ends up being buried, buried next to Julia. the second woman <laughs> that he marries yeah and there were comments on I mean the fact that it was so it didn't it wasn't all that long after Leticia died that when he started uh being interested in uh, hmm. Julia, so well, he's he sounds like a controversial man. Yeah, so he was a slave owner, though. He, he actually thought slavery should be allowed to expand, and it would actually diffuse and then eventually go away. He was. Typical. What do you mean he thought it would diffuse? What does that mean? He. He thought it would just magically was, disappear. I, I can't explain it, but he thought that eventually it would essentially die of its own volition after it became Because it's awful everywhere. or just because... Uh, all I can say is he was similar to the other Virginians, the Virginia dynasty presidents, in that they... And he thought Virginia or uh, slavery was evil, but he also thought you couldn't do anything about it. And that's essentially the way that's Jefferson ridiculous. and Madison were and Monroe. So, and they <laughs> well, didn't, it's and bad, they, but we can't do anything about it. Well, yeah. And that was essentially, uh, you know, the Virginia thought for huh. a lot of those guys was, yeah, we know it's evil. We know we should try to do something, but don't anybody try to tell us about this since we're not going to listen to you. That was, you know, part Absurd. of it main thing about the whole Civil War, so. Okay, well. So, John Tyler, if if we go on a trip, uh, it's still privately owned. Sherwood Forest is still there. Still in the, believe it or not, John Tyler's grand, couple of his grandsons, uh, up until 2020, were still alive. Because yeah. his... His, his son, children list was so long. His son... Okay. The son, Lion, L-Y-O-N, that's born in August of 1853. He does the same thing as his father. He gets married later in his life to a young woman. And he fathers a children when he's 75. Oh, gross. And, she, and she's 39. Ew! And those sons now depending on when you're listening to this but uh, they were around into their 90s so wow. if you you know do the timeline it's like yeah because when I went to first went to Sherwood Forest I, I 
listened to some of the talk and they said, well, his grandsons are still here. And this was several years ago, but I said, you mean his great grandsons or great, great grandsons? No, his grandsons. And I couldn't believe it, yeah, but it's that's, true. <laughs> that's crazy. So, uh, but, but you can Forest, go visit it. You can visit it. You can walk around without a reservation, but it's privately owned and you have to contact them specifically to get a tour inside, but it's amazing. The, one of the things inside I saw was Tyler's law book that he studied from. And when they were showing it to him and he turned it over in the back, had three bullet holes in it. And I was like, what's going on with that? Well, Civil War, Union soldiers surrounded the place. They knew that Tyler had gone with the Confederacy, so they took that book out and used it for target practice. Now, I think of that and I thought, well, maybe they weren't that great of shots or <laughs> they only didn't take that many shots at it, but, uh, but there's some amazing things. There's not a whole lot of original furniture in Sherwood Forest from that time frame because a lot of the tro troops took that furniture out and burned it. So, hmm. but the, it's, if you're interested in history at all, presidential history, because everybody is, of course, Mount Vernon, Monticello, Montpelier, but Sherwood Forest is very, very interesting. Oh. So, That's a good anyway, story, John Tyler. The Peacemaker. Oh, what a terrible story. Yeah, that was a terrible, terrible accident. There's some oh. historians I've listened to online that think that that actually is one of the significant well, sounds like incidents it. in American history. It sounds like it, because it sounds like it changed that whole trajectory. Yeah. Interesting. Well, thanks, Dad. USS Princeton, so. Okay. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you ever want to get a tour by Doug McCormick, please visit www.historytoursamerica.com. Thanks.